Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back once again. How are we feeling today? We're feeling great, Brett. Anytime we're talking together, we're talking college football, and it's hard to not be in a good mood when you're talking college football. The season's plugging right along, so we say it every single week. Let's keep enjoying it, and we've got another slate of some good midweek games. Brett, this is our final week of uh, CUSA action exclusively, the the Conference USA. just doesn't have the same rhyme as Maction. We get into Maction next week. So uh, I know we're not exclusively Conference USA, but typically we've had a lot of Conference USA games here midweek. We're going to have one more of those, and then I'm looking forward to next week getting some action mixed in as well. But yeah, man, Conference USA um, looks different than it ever has in the past. We've got some teams that are ineligible, so lots to break down for sure, and I know we're expanding beyond that too. So always fun talking college football. Yeah, it's been, we've kind of been a, a Kusa midweek podcast for the most part, but we did have that one Sunbelt Tuesday game and nothing else that was just kind of randomly thrown in there. Uh, would have liked to see more, I think, of it incorporated, but we'll see as the, as the year goes on. But before we get into everything, don't forget to follow at the Lines US on Twitter. I'm at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here every single week for the remaining bit of the season, breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games, which, as you said, that's what we're here to do. I love Maxim. I really do. But let me tell you, Conference USA has delivered some unbelievable theater uh, in their debut on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. In the first game they were starting off with, uh, I don't know that we're going to get that unbelievable theater in this one. But we have UTEP. On the road at Sam Houston State, the home team Bearcats are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Carries an over-under of just 36-and-a-half points. That's low even by NFL standards. That might be on par with what we're getting from Iowa in the Big Ten West here. This game kicks off Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. We're getting really nasty with this one. Real gross. The 127th and 129th ranked teams in points per drive. So if you're a fan of offense, avert your eyes. A loss here likely ends UTEP's bull bid. And if Sam Houston loses, they are definitely out of bull bid. Uh, if you can come back from starting, what are they, 0-7? Uh, good for you. I, I think their bull bid's probably long over, but I think a loss here absolutely mathematically seals it. Uh, the Cade McConnell experience, it burned brief and bright. He completed less than 50% of his passes for uh, less than 5.5 yards per attempt last week. The talent's there. He's only a freshman, but... I don't really view him as the dangerous gunslinger that we saw in that first quarter against FIU. I think that was just a a fun little surprise that we're probably not getting back from UTEP for the rest of the year. It's still unclear if Gavin Hardison goes. He's been out for three games, but he's clearly the best quarterback on this roster, if not consistent. That's not really much of a high bar to clear, though. UTEP is rushing on about 60% of its plays over their last three games, so the game plan's clear. But the offensive line isn't really getting a push. Deion Hankins has the second most rushing attempts in Conference USA, but less than a third of his yards come before contact. That's telling me he's, uh, he's a workhorse, he's, he's running over tackles, and, and just kind of getting the yardage himself since the offensive line isn't really paving much of a way for him. The difference between these two teams, though, Sam Houston State does generate quality possessions, even if they don't always finish them. UTEP, well, they don't do either thing well, and I think that's why you're seeing the Bearcats remain the favorite here. Not only that, but actually getting action whenever this line touches three. Sam Houston State money comes in and pushes it to three and a half. Uh, They're throwing the ball much more with Keegan Schumacher now 
And he's getting yards despite them shortening his throw. So it used to be a lot more down the field stuff with a lot lower success rate and by extension, a lot fewer yards. But now they've kind of brought those throws closer to the line of scrimmage. He's letting his receivers get some yak, make some plays, and he's doing a lot better. Uh, That's an improvement in the scheme, in my opinion. You're looking at Noah Smith, their top receiver. They're getting him way more involved. Before week five this season, three games, he had 11 total targets. After week five, he's averaging 13 targets per game, Kelly. So they're getting him much more involved than they were before. And it's clearly working. Even though they're 0-7, the offense isn't as bad as it was to start the year where it took him three games to score a touchdown. Uh, They actually adjust his role according to the opponent, which is something you see in very innovative coaches. A lot of coaches are, this is my scheme. This is what I'm doing. I don't care what players I have. Not Sam Houston State. So if you look at his average depth of target, it was only 3.1 yards against Liberty. But the very next week, it was 11.8 yards against New Mexico State. So they're looking at Liberty. Hey, we're going to try to get you in space. We're going to get you the ball being extension of the run game. Against New Mexico State, you know what? I think we can throw you the ball a little bit downfield uh, more. They also move him inside and outside, different splits every game. He's very versatile. I'm really liking what they do with him. But uh, what do your numbers say about this one? Yeah, Brett, you said it's uh, it's real gross. Yeah, real gross is right here for this one. And just to just to confirm or clarify, so Sam Houston with their transition to FBS, they wouldn't be going bowling regardless. Oh, that's right, J- bowl J- band. Yeah, J- no, Jacksonville right. State's <laughs> going to find that one out the hard way, unfortunately. Yeah. James Madison as well. But UTEP, you're right. You know, already two and six on the year, they've got to win out. It's disappointing because coming into this year, my numbers gave UTEP a 43 percent chance to go bowling. That's now down to a less than one percent chance because. Not only are they going to be a protected underdog here, as, as I'm going to talk about, but in each of their remaining games. I mean, they still got Western on the schedule. They still got Liberty on the schedule and a trip to Middle Tennessee. So it's probably just not going to happen for UTEP this year, which is disappointing for a team that I thought, you know, was almost a 50% chance to, to make a bowl coming in. But this game, Brett, talk about gross, has a watchability score of 3.1. Uh, it makes it a top five sicko game of the week. So for all the sickos out there who really like to, to, to dive into these lowly rated watchability score games, this is one for you. Um, I really thought Sam Houston was going to get their first ever FBS win last week at home against FIU. Just wasn't meant to be, Brett. They fell 27-33 in overtime uh, to to FIU. The model now thinks, though, that that's going to happen this week. I have Sam Houston minus four, so a little bit more than Vegas. I can understand why. When it touches three, it bounces back up. It's a 61% win expectancy for the Bearcats. Neither of these teams, Brett, has been power rated better than number 116 all year. Currently, Sam Houston's number 120. UTEP's number 122. The Sam Houston offense, currently number 131. Uh, it's been bottom three the entire year. It's been four weeks as the worst offense in the country. But you're right. It is better than it was at the beginning of the year. And I think my numbers uh, speak to that as well. The UTEP defense is currently number 117. That's a season low. So slight edge to UTEP on that side, ever so slight. Uh, the UTEP offense is number 119. The difference for me in this game is is the defense here for Sam Houston. Uh, I have them number 70 nationally in this game. It's the only unit that is top 115. Plus, this game is in Huntsville. Uh, bottom line, Sam Houston minus four, 61% win expectancy for the Bearcats, and they they get their first ever FBS win. Boy, you said you thought that was coming last week. Uh, if if I had the ability to, to project graphics onto here, which I could hit screen share, but I'm not going to do that to our graphics department. Uh, you should definitely go look up ESPN's win probability graphic on right Sam Houston State FIU. It is a almost vertical line at the end of that game. Uh, that that was a lot of fun. But that that's like what Conference USA's been this whole Tuesday. Like it's not a lot of fun 
if you're betting on it because you're sweating it out, but it's a lot of fun. Just it's just good theater. It's great TV. I've I've actually really enjoyed it. I uh, yeah, you said it. UTEP's not really a good football team. They're not really playing great right now. But that said, on this side of three, you're looking at 36 point over under against a winless team that's had some very unfortunate finishes. I think UTEP with the points is probably the correct side on this one. Uh, that that's the way that I lean. Just from a uh, you, you know, it's not a team versus team thing. This comes down to like a. Uh, betting mechanics and and just kind of understanding the situation of of what we have here. Um, Yeah, probably UTEP with the points for me. Uh, That's a gross one, though. Really gross one. (laughs) Moving forward, Kelly, it gets a lot better here. Uh, Fascinating games. I don't know if this is the game that really increases our our talent level on the field all that much, though. We have Syracuse on the road at Virginia Tech. The Hokies are three-point home favorites with an over-under 47 points. So it kicks off Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We're in week nine, and I'm still not sure I know what Syracuse really is yet. Uh, to steal a line from the solid verbal that they use, uh, I don't know where they got it from, but we'll know what Syracuse is definitively uh, by December. And I think that's what we're going to have to deal with, with this team this year. <laughs> Look, they're, they're 3-0 against Western Michigan, Purdue, and Army. They're 0-3 against North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson. So they're beating the bad teams, worst teams, and they're losing to the better teams. But where do they fall among the rest of the ACC? I guess we're going to find out in this game, considering Virginia Tech is among that other ACC bucket. Syracuse, they're down their top receiving targets. Aronde Gadsden, the, the, probably the best player on their whole roster, their tight end. He's out for the season. Uh, Trevor Pena, he's been out. he hasn't played yet. I uh, don't know if he's coming back or not. That's not helping this offense at all. Garrett Schrader. He is the third most sacked quarterback in the ACC, and perhaps most inexcusable, 25% of his pressures turn into sacks. He's really bad at avoiding them. He loves stepping into them. He loves not seeing players coming. Uh, Holds on to the ball a little bit too long. And a result from that is he has seven fumbles on the season, including three alone in that game against Clemson. 208 of his 430 rushing yards on the season and four of his six rushing touchdowns came in one single game against Purdue. So if you're just looking at his aggregate stats, you kind of have to break down and realize ah, he had a heck of a game against Purdue and a whole lot of nothing outside of that. Uh, The bottom line is the offensive line just stinks. His team's 111th in rushing success rate. They're at just 3.2 a carry in their last games. On the other side, uh, Virginia Tech, I mean, they're dealing with their own injuries in their own right. Grant Wells hasn't played the starting, well, preseason starting quarterback since week two. I'm going to be honest, I'm not really sure that's the worst thing in the world. Uh, however, what does hurt them is a star receiver that came in uh, from ODU in the in the portal, Allie Jennings. He's out for the rest of the season. He's been out for a couple of weeks. That really hurts the offense. Kyron Drones, the quarterback that has been starting, he's been really hit or miss. He's very risk-averse through the air, which is fine, but doesn't really get the job done when it comes to needing to score a lot of points. But he's very dangerous with his legs. He's a really good runner. He's actually the team's leading rusher on the season. Syracuse has not faced a quarterback with as many designed rush attempts as Drone. Less than a quarter of his carries this season are actually scrambles. It's a lot of designed runs, gap scheme, counter scheme, zone, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Brett, this game has a watchability score of 6.7 for me. Both teams should be well-rested coming out of their off weeks. And, man, did Syracuse in particular need it. The Orange opened the year 4-0, Brett. They rose to as high as number 22 in my most deserving rankings before dropping their first three ACC games, as you mentioned. Granted, they were underdogs in each of those games as they faced Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State. Those are some of the best power-rated teams in the ACC. Virginia Tech also has a loss to Florida State on the resume, but the Hokies have wins over Pitt and Wake Forest in conference play. It's interesting, Brett, both of these teams face Purdue in the non-conference with Syracuse winning on the road, Virginia Tech losing at home. The model has Syracuse minus two in this one. It's a 56% win expectancy for the Orange. 
Syracuse is number 46 overall in my power ratings. They have the number 37 defense, and the offense right now at number 60. That's the lowest they've been ranked all year in my model. Virginia Tech is currently power rated a season best, number 64. They have the number 51 defense and the number 84 offense. So both defenses should have the advantage in this game. It's the Syracuse defense, though, that's the best unit in the game. Virginia Tech offense, the worst ranked unit for me. That could be the difference, despite the fact that this game is in Blacksburg. At 2-1 and one in conference play, Brett, Virginia Tech is still in the conference championship game hunt. With a win, the Hokies would have a 12% chance to make it to Charlotte. You're laughing, but hey, you only have one conference loss. You're still in it. A win would see that that their chances rise at twelve percent to make it to Charlotte. A loss would, you know, confirm the laugh there, and, and and it would probably eliminate them for all intents and purposes. Bottom line, I have Syracuse minus two. It's a forty-six percent chance that Virginia Tech stays in the ACC title game race. I'm I'm laughing because it'd be great. I would love to see Virginia Tech run the table and uh, make Charlotte, and then just get boat raced by either Florida State or well, I guess they hung with Florida State a little bit, but I. Uh, we talk. I, I can't remember what we say on this podcast or what I say offline or, or or whatever. But I remember in particular. I was very excited to when Syracuse got to four and zero because they got to seven and zero last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and I used to do this podcast with our our editor Stephen Andres. Uh, we were licking our chops, and he he's a, a Syracuse grad. I was just excited to start fading an undefeated Syracuse team. <laughs> Never got the option to this year because they didn't get far enough to actually be uh, adjusted enough. I don't think in in the market to be worth fading, but. Uh, boy, was I excited when Syracuse got to 4-0. Uh, I'm going to be honest, on this game, I, I think I lean over the total. Uh, Syracuse, they sh- they kind of shut down against the top three teams in the ACC, and North Carolina's defense has actually been like pretty solid this year uh, in contrast to what they had last year. Uh, Virginia Tech, they're hit or miss in scoring, but they do allow their uh, opposition to finish drives efficiently. So uh, I think we're dealing with a really low total in uh, – with two defenses that I don't think either one is is particularly very good, and a couple of offenses that they've shown the ability to score against lesser opponents, I, I would say both of these teams would be considered quote lesser opponents to the other. So, um, yeah, I, I think I lean over forty seven uh, for this ACC matchup here. Uh, moving forward, we have Georgia State on the road at Georgia Southern, the hometown or the home team. Uh, gold, or Eagles are one and a half point. Fa- I can never remember who the Golden Eagles are in, in regular Eagles. I'm sorry, Georgia Southern. Golden Eagles are Southern Miss. The Georgia Southern Eagles are one and a half point home favorites. There we go. I'm going to say that with conviction. It has an over under of 64 points. This game kicks off Thursday night at 7:30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Let me tell you, if you're not familiar with Sun Belt football or, or, or Group of Five football, you may not know this. This is a big time rivalry. I'm not even talking about just a rivalry. It's a big time rivalry. Uh, Georgia Southern has a saying that says always Southern never state. They that's that's their mantra whenever they go into this game. It's a pretty bitter rivalry. On the other side, Georgia State though, off to a 6 and 1 start. That's their best start as a member of the FBS. It's actually their best start in program history. Like how about it here? They've got a pretty good thing going. And as such, they took uh, some pretty decent movement on Tuesday uh, from plus 2.5 to plus 1.5. I was looking for plus 3. I was really crossing my fingers for it. I don't see that happening now. Uh, and the over also slightly moved up from 62 to 64 on uh, Tuesdays we're recording here. Georgia State has been doing a really good job of getting, uh, keeping Darren Granger clean. He's been sacked just seven times so far. It's a top 20 number nationally. The system helps, too, uh, to get the ball out quick kind of thing. They get they get the ball to the playmakers on the perimeter, on the edge, let them work in space. 
They do. Uh, he leads the Sun Belt in adjusted completion rate, eighty-one percent. That's fifth best in the country. He's having himself a really decent year. Georgia Southern on the other side, they're not great against pass. They're 102nd in passing success rate on defense. And uh, I think that's more in line with what they'll be defending against Georgia State. What I mean by that is you can look at the EPA marks. You can look at the success rate marks. When I see a, uh, a, good, a better success rate metric on defense, that tells me that they are not allowing teams to get uh, chunk yards. EPA is, is where you're talking about explosive plays. Success rate is about methodical. Can you move the football? And uh, – yeah, they're, they're allowing teams to methodically move the football even if they're capping the explosive plays. Uh, Darren Grange is also one of the better dual threats. He has 370 yards and five touchdowns, but that hasn't been nearly uh, what he's been asked in the past two years. He's really turned it down. It's been a lot more passing than rushing. He kind of rushes on a need-to basis uh, instead of just an all-the-time basis like it was last year. Marcus Carroll in the backfield, the running back, that definitely helps his, his case a little bit there. He's second in the Sun Belt in rushing yards, over 850 so far on the year. He has 10 touchdowns, 31 missed tackles forced. That's third best in the conference as well. Georgia Southern, I think they've been pretty good against the run. They're 40th in rush EPA allowed. They're a sound tackling team, which is always good, especially when you're looking at these midweek games that can get real weird. One of the most frustrating things is teams that just consistently miss tackles. That's not Georgia Southern's defense this year. Their biggest issue, Georgia State's pass defense is uh, 122nd in EPA per pass. Uh, def- on, yeah, on defense there. And they're facing Davis Brin, who has over two, 2,100 passing yards, the most uh, passing attempts in the entire country. But... He does have 11 interceptions, tied for the most in, in the entire FBS, and 17 turnover-worthy plays, which is second most. Five picks did come against Wisconsin, but he has thrown two each in each of his last two games. Uh, four turnover-worthy throws against Coastal. That turned into zero interceptions, luckily, but like the opportunity was there for him to have more than just 11 picks on the year. He'll give you plenty of chances to get the football back, that's for sure. Georgia State has uh, six interceptions on the year, but three of them came from corner Gavin Pringle alone. Uh, it, I think it comes down to whether Brink continues to be careless with his throws or not. We've all seen it. Uh, it, could, it could be so frustrating to watch teams just turn the ball over incessantly on Thursday night, which could be the case here for Georgia Southern. You mentioned this is a big rivalry, Brett, and, and I definitely agree. It is. Georgia State leads the series. I had to look it up. Georgia State leads the series 6-3. to three. In my mind, Georgia State will always win this series. Just It's over because both these teams entered FBS at the same time. One of them got their information into EA Sports in time to make the NCAA 14 video game. The other did not. Georgia State was included in NCAA 14. Georgia Southern was not. I wouldn't remember that if not for the fact we haven't had that a new game of the new version of that game in 10 years. So I remember starting out with Dynasty mode. You're thinking about okay, what team are you going to be? You're either going to start really good, really bad, whatever. When I decided I wanted to start really bad. It was always Georgia State because they had no FBS history. They had no record on anything, and they were the only team because Georgia Southern did not meet the deadlines, if I remember correctly, that EA Sports had set forth. So, hey, it's a rivalry on the field. Georgia State actually is winning at 6-3. to three. In my book, Georgia State's already won this thing forever and always because they got an NCAA 14. Georgia Southern did not. Brett, Which, this is a- which re- really quick, to jump in while we're talking about NCAA – uh, I, I haven't played with Georgia State a lot in NCAA, but do you know where Georgia State plays their home football games? In that game, I think I want to say in that game they were playing. They're playing in a dome. Was it the Georgia Dome? Like were they playing in Atlanta? Used, like were the Falcons? They used to, yeah, they used to play in Georgia Dome. They actually moved it to the old defunct Turner Field in downtown Atlanta. They converted it to a football stadium. I did not so know that Turner, Turner Field where the, the old, uh, Braves the old used to Braves, play. Yeah, yeah, the old Braves. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Man, no, I did not know that, but I know in that game they played in a dome because, again, I remember that's where yep, I started if I wanted dome. to start yep. at, the, at the bottom of it. So, anyway, this is exactly the type of game, Brett, that makes me want to add more criteria to my watchability score formula. As it is, though, this game's a 5.6. With James Madison ineligible for the Sunbelt Championship game, this game's as big as it gets in the East Division this year. You mentioned it at the top. It's a big game in the East Division. It is. I have Georgia Southern minus one. It's a 53% win expectancy for the Eagles. Georgia Southern's number 82 overall in my power ratings. At number 53, this is the second best offense in the East Division behind only Georgia State. But at number 104, this defense is the second worst in the division, better than only App State. Talk about a team that's been disappointing this year out of the Sun Belt, App State. I know we're not talking about them, but man, you're not used to seeing the Mountaineers at the bottom of the projected standings in the Sun Belt. Um, it's not good uh, for Georgia Southern, though, because Georgia State, uh, they, have, they have the best offense that the Eagles will face all season based on my numbers. Uh, I started with Georgia Southern because they're my projected winner, and that's my rule. But to be honest, Brett, this game's all about Georgia State for me for some of the reasons that you mentioned. Panthers have a K-4 rating of negative 2.1, corresponding ranking of 74. Those are both season bests. Um, and while the offense is the better of the two units here for the Panthers at number 43, uh, it's the defense that is currently ranked at a season high number 90 on that side of the ball. Uh, both offenses should have the advantage based on my numbers. I think ultimately the difference in this one could be the home field uh, that Georgia Southern is going to get here. Control of the Sunbelt East is on the line. A win would give Georgia State a 64% chance to win the division, while a loss would see the Panthers' chances drop to just 24%. For Georgia Southern, their chances to win the East are 45 and 11% respectively with a win or a loss in this game. Bottom line, I have Georgia Southern minus one. Uh, it's a 47% chance that Georgia State moves to four and one in conference play and really takes firm control of that East division. I know it's only moved up a couple of points, uh, but man, just thinking about it, since we're talking through it here, uh, over 62 seems like it'd at least be a fun bet uh, to follow along here. But look, I've been all over underdogs last week, this week, and I think I like the underdog here too. Georgia Southern is, is bad at finishing drives and letting opponents finish drives. Uh, That could be, and we're talked about turnovers, that could be a maddening game if that trend continues for both Georgia Southern backers in, in the betting uh, market and fans. I do have to give a shout-out Parker Fleming. I've shouted him out on here before. I, I get a lot of statistics from him. He puts together incredible, incredible uh, advanced statistic previews. He has a points per echo, which just kind of boils down to points per quality possession, and that's where I'm pulling those numbers from. Uh, so hat tip to at StatsWar on Twitter. Uh, Georgia State, they're a lot better at finishing those drives, although... I do think this matters a little bit. I it even if it's just a smidge edge, but we're talking about one and a half point spread here. Uh, a win here secures a bowl bid for Georgia Southern. I know you talked about the implications in the uh, in, in the conference in the division, but they also can secure a bowl bid here. And what better time to do it than in front of your home crowd against your rival? Uh, but Georgia State, on the other hand, doesn't want that to happen. I, I do think I take Georgia State here in the game uh, to win outright. Uh, moving forward, uh, but we're on Friday now. We have FAU, a four-point road favorite at Charlotte. That's an interesting line, and I'll talk about why here in a minute. This game carries a, a lovely over-under of 41 points. Kicks off Friday, as mentioned, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Now, why this line is interesting is because Charlotte actually took a lot of movement on Tuesday. It uh, bumped down from minus 6.5 to minus 4.5, down to minus 4 now at time of recording. Uh, and that's because FAU, in my, has been a huge, huge disappointment this year. They've a, 
a, a good coaching staff of who's who's Tom Herman's in charge down there. They brought in some interesting transfers, and it just hasn't worked out whatsoever. They're 124th in points per drive, 101st in scoring. But really, it's been worse than that if you dig behind that. They put up 42 on FCS team Monmouth and then 56 on USF. But otherwise, they have not scored more than two touchdowns in a single game. Like I said, Casey Thompson came in. He was interesting, but he's out for the season. I do think that that hurts them. Although, I thought their offense would still be able to exist a little bit more because they have uh, Daniel Richardson, the old Central Michigan quarterback, is, is now their standing starter, and he's a lot of starting experience. But, hey, it just hasn't worked out. Running back Larry McCammon, he was a 1,000-yard rusher for FAU last year, but the opportunities and efficiency have both dropped this season. The offensive line is getting no push. Get this. McCammon is getting 1.2 yards per contact or yards before contact per carry. That's one of the worst numbers uh, for, for a workhorse back of this caliber in the entire country. Charlotte, on the other end, has been really solid defensively. The 34th in rushing success rate allowed. The front seven is particularly good. You even saw them give Maryland fits uh, earlier in the season, if not only for the first half or so. They have four Power 5 transfers in that unit, and uh, th- that's going to help you a little bit when you have Arkansas, or, uh, Alabama, Ole Miss, and, and Michigan caliber, and Georgia Tech caliber players in your front seven going up against uh, the rest of the American. But Charlotte has absolutely no offense to speak of. We're talking 126 in points per quality possession. That is second uh, and second worst in points per drive, 125th in pace. I mean, it's like they're not even trying. Uh, they slow the game down and hope you make a mistake, and, you know, that makes for some really tough football to watch, and that's why we have a uh, that's why we have a forty-one point over/under. And Kelly, I love this level of college football. This, this is my stuff. Like th- these weeknight games between these two power five, or two group five teams is what I absolutely adore about college football. This might be a tough game to watch, though. You do love this level of of college football, Brett. The G five, the FCS, for that matter. Do love you, FCS. You're all about it, and no one can take that away from you. I agree with you. This one might get a little tough to watch. Has a watchability score of four point two, so just it's not great. And and we can get some good games out of the American with some good teams. These two are struggling this year. I have Florida Atlantic minus three. It's a fifty eight percent win expectancy for the Owls. You mentioned it at four and or three and four. Excuse me. It's been a disappointing season for Florida Atlantic. The preseason chances to go bowling, 75%. That's fallen to just 48% currently. Projected regular season win total, it's fallen from 6.5 to 5.4. Currently, FAU's number 93 overall in my power ratings. They have the number 81 defense, number 108 offense. Again, got Tom Herman there. Like Even if even if you don't have the players that you that you want or that you need to, to, to do things, you would think just from like a, a coaching advantage, from a schematic advantage standpoint in the American they would have that, and it just hasn't panned out that way. Charlotte's coming off a somewhat surprising win at East Carolina last week. That helped the 49ers season really get back on track, at least relative to my preseason realistic expectations. Charlotte's current power rating, negative 11.8. It's actually a season best. Uh, their defense rank of number is number 84, um, but the offense is a season low, number 129. You, you mentioned it, right? It's just it's really bad on the offensive side of the ball, bottom four in all of FBS. Therefore, both defenses should have the advantage in this game. Uh, But it's Florida Atlantic, even though they're having a great year. They have the best unit in this game. The Charlotte offense is the worst unit in this game. That, to me, could make the difference. I know this game is at Charlotte, but still, just just the talent discrepancy should be enough for Florida Atlantic to get it done. Bottom line, I have FAU minus three. It's a 42% chance that Charlotte gets to 500 in conference play. I had to look this up uh, in – you know, we've talked about FPI in here. Uh, it's not without its merits and its flaws. Um, but one thing I do like looking at is their strength of record. And I'm a little surprised to see Florida Atlantic at, uh, at, at 97. 
Um, their strength of schedule is 98. Uh, I'm sorry, 95. I'd expect both to be a lot worse than that, uh, to be honest, uh, especially with – and I, I know that it doesn't take in relative to expectation like your metrics do, which is why I care about yours far more. Uh, FAU just coming – it's just bad. It, it's, it's a I, bad, bad year in Boca. Most deserving FAU number 89, Charlotte number 110. That's where my resume, overall resume ranks are for both these teams. Yeah, and, and a 41-point total is very low. Uh, I still think it may even be too high. I, I mean, you saw Charlotte claw to that 10-7 win against East Carolina, and East Carolina's a little bit better. Uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know if they're a little bit better than, they, than FAU on offense, but it's, it's not that big a difference, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, I think I lean under here. Both offenses stink. You're talking about Charlotte's pace and defense. It's enough to drag this game to an absolute halt. Uh, so that's the way that I lean on that one. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel. There you can join a sharp and active community. And don't forget to subscribe to Lines on YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long, just like this one. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. And drop us a good review if you like the show. Also, you have been great about letting us know down in the comments what side you lean on in these games. Uh, it's, it's been a growing, growing uh, comment section down there. So keep on plugging away, whether you agree, disagree, uh, whether you want to take pod shots at Kelly's model, uh, whatever you're doing there, the comments that he definitely won't see. Uh, but Kelly, before we close up shop here, can you please plug where everyone can find your work? I welcome the comments, Brett. Look forward to reading them. Uh, yeah, you can find my work on X at KFord Ratings, the website kfordratings.com, and then also over at thelines.com, writing a couple articles every single week. So I'm um, excited to be a part of the team and enjoyed it a lot this year and looking forward to finishing strong as we charge towards November, which is just crazy. But uh, it's, been, it's been a fun ride, and I, I look forward to finishing out this year. Yeah, speaking of November, Kelly, it's it's almost bowl confidence pool season. We'll get there. We'll we'll get there. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.